This is a podcast by the Business Times. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I'm a senior correspondent at the Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in the Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. We're in the month of July 2022, and it seems like everyone is looking for reasons for the markets to quickly rebound. Some market watchers argue that declines in 10-year US government bond yields over the last couple of weeks are a sign that Fed rate hikes might abate earlier than expected, and that stocks are as cheap as they're going to get. There are also some who feel that tighter monetary policy isn't the right solution for the surge in inflation that we've experienced in recent months, and that the problem will soon correct itself anyway. More generally, many experts are urging investors not to lose hope in the market and to stay the course in order to achieve their long-term financial goals. So, I thought it would be a good idea to offer my own views on these issues. In this podcast, I'll talk about the recent Fed rate hikes and the impact they have had on the markets and why investors should not hope for a V-shaped recovery anytime soon. I will also talk about the resurgence of inflation and what it could mean for investors over the longer term. And I'll offer some views on how investors should approach the markets in the second half of this year. Let me start with a fairly obvious observation. That is, central banks around the world seriously underestimated the potential rise of inflation as the pandemic receded last year. Everyone agreed that a sudden restart in economic activity would result in temporary shortages and supply glitches, and workers who had been let go might not be easily rehired. Also, different countries around the world were reopening at their own pace, so there were bound to be problems in getting global supply chains working once more. There was, of course, one big unexpected factor, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which started in February and spurred energy prices as well as prices of some food commodities. But even before the invasion began, there seemed to be some hope in the market that the inflationary pressures we were seeing, and consequently further rises in interest rates, would prove to be transient. That hope was severely tested last month. In the three weeks leading up to the 17th of June, the S&P 500 tumbled more than 483 points, or nearly 12%. That was a significant move when you consider that the S&P 500 has fallen by nearly 935 points since the beginning of the year. So, what happened during those three weeks? In my view, there was a sudden realization that the inflationary pressures we had been experiencing would not be easily blunted. In the first place, the US unemployment rate for May had come in at 3.6% for the third month in a row, with some 6 million people unemployed. That was pretty much the same level of unemployment before the pandemic started. Back in February 2020, US unemployment was running at 3.5%, with some 5.7 million people unemployed. This suggested that the US economy was already running near full employment and that strong demand has been a significant factor behind the recent acceleration in US inflation, not just supply chain bottlenecks. And consequently, tighter monetary policy is now required. Things got worse on the 10th of June when US consumer price data showed inflation in May had accelerated to 8.6%, up from 8.3% in April and 7% in December. At that point, the market began to anticipate that the Fed would hike the federal funds rate by more than the 50 basis points it had previously indicated. And that's exactly what happened. On June 15th, the Fed raised the federal funds rate by 75 basis points to 1.5 to 1.75%, 
which was reportedly its biggest hike since 1994. Economic data will keep modifying sentiment as we move along. There is more US unemployment data coming out right after this podcast recording, and more inflation data coming out in a few days' time. And markets could react to these fresh numbers. But there is now widespread expectation that the Fed and other major central banks will keep tightening monetary policy for some time. At the next Federal Open Market Committee meeting, scheduled for July 26 and 27, many market watchers expect the Fed will hike rates by another 75 basis points. On top of that, median projections by the FOMC participants puts the midpoint of the federal funds rate at 3.375% by the end of 2022, suggesting that the federal funds rate would more than double over the next six months. Don't forget that the Fed is now also reversing its quantitative easing policy. Since the beginning of June, it has been allowing principal payments of its securities holdings to roll off its balance sheet at the rate of $47.5 billion US dollars per month. The pace of this roll-off will double in September to $95 billion US dollars per month. The impact of these moves by the Fed is now being felt by investors across the globe. Since the beginning of this year, the S&P 500 is down about 19%, just short of the 20% threshold that marks a bear market. The Nasdaq 100 is down an even steeper 27%. Big sell-offs like these are generally good buying opportunities for long-term investors. In fact, over the last couple of weeks, 10-year US Treasury bond yields have slipped back below the 3% threshold, amid concerns that an economic slowdown could be in the offing. Some market watchers have also been highlighting that the 2-year Treasury bond yield has been trading above the 10-year yield. This is known as an inverted yield curve and is said to be a surefire indicator of a looming recession. The implication of all this is that the current Fed rate hiking cycle might end sooner than expected as the Fed tries to engineer a soft landing for the US economy, which could spur a strong recovery in beaten down global stock markets. In fact, China stocks have recently been charting seemingly promising rebounds after sharp falls since the beginning of 2021 and significant volatility earlier this year. In particular, the Nasdaq Golden Dragon China Index which tracks US-listed China stocks, has rebounded more than 35% over the past couple of months, even as the S&P 500 and Nasdaq 100 were sinking. The CSI 300 index, which tracks the top stocks in Shanghai and Shenzhen, and the Hang Seng Tech Index, which includes stocks like Alibaba, Tencent and Xiaomi, have also climbed strongly over the past two months. Closer to home, Singapore's own Straits Times Index has been far more resilient than the S&P 500. Since the beginning of the year, the STI is almost unchanged, perhaps reflecting the fact that nearly half the index consists of DBS, OCBC and UOB, which are said to be beneficiaries of rising interest rates. So, should investors be jumping into the market now? And are China stocks really a bargain? Will Singapore stocks perform well in the second half of this year? I'm going to talk about that next. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. One thing investors should keep in mind is that inflation in the US is now running at rates that haven't been seen since the early 1980s. While the war in Ukraine and supply chain bottlenecks may well have been contributory factors, the fact is that US inflation had reached unexpectedly high levels even before Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine. On the face of it, it seems that everyone simply underestimated the inflationary impact of the fiscal and monetary stimulus that was unleashed during the pandemic, and for good reason. 
Inflation had not been a problem for decades, perhaps because of big secular trends that weighed down middle-class wages in the US, like automation and globalization. In fact, even as the recovery from the pandemic was beginning to unfold, some analysts were anticipating that central banks would allow inflation to run hot for a while. There was very little fear that inflation would actually become a problem, and the priority was to get economic activity going again. Now, there is growing anticipation that tightening monetary policy and slowing economic activity will quickly rein in inflationary pressures. But will it, though? As I said earlier, US Treasury bond yields have fallen back a little, and oil prices have softened a bit too. But there are longer-term trends that suggest inflation might be rather sticky going forward. In particular, politics in the West is being reshaped by dissatisfaction among middle-class voters. In 2016, Donald Trump tapped into this deep vein of discontent and rode to the White House with promises of bringing jobs back to the Rust Belt of America. We are now also seeing growing emphasis on ESG and companies becoming more sensitive to perceptions of how they treat their stakeholders, especially their employees. Meanwhile, there's growing concern about relying on cross-border supply chains. The US and China now clearly regard each other as strategic rivals rather than trading partners, and China's support for Russia is not winning at any friends in the West. In short, there's a general abandonment or reversal of the liberal market-oriented thinking that dominated economic policymaking and corporate governance since the 1980s, which could mean higher levels of inflation and interest rates over the medium term, and perhaps slower economic growth too. The upshot of all this is that investors should not expect a V-shaped recovery in the markets. If inflation lingers, the Fed and other major central banks will probably not quickly revert to ultra-loose monetary policies simply because the markets have tumbled or because there's growing signs of a global recession. They may well slow the pace of interest rate hikes, but until inflation really subsides, they are likely to maintain a tightening stance. So investors need to be careful before piling into stocks, whether it's US stocks or China stocks or Singapore stocks that they are eyeing. And while it makes sense to remain invested in order to meet your long-term financial goals, it's important now to take a hard look at what exactly is in your portfolio. Investors should ask themselves whether the sell-off in stocks has offset their possible overvaluation when monetary policy was very loose and discounted the possibility of weaker earnings as higher interest rates begin to weigh on demand. They should probably adopt a Warren Buffett-like approach to selecting companies in which to invest their money. I've written about this recently, and last year we put out an entire podcast about investing like Warren Buffett. That podcast, which was episode 7 in this series, explained how investors really ought to focus on companies with durable competitive advantages and highly profitable business models, and that they should only buy when stocks are trading at reasonable valuations. Yet investors often get most excited about companies that are operating in fast-growing sectors, like e-commerce or electric vehicles, even if these companies are barely profitable. When interest rates are very low, these sorts of fast-growing companies tend to garner massive valuations. But when liquidity tightens or when their growth or profitability falters, the fallout can be disastrous. For example, Netflix has fallen some 69% since the beginning of this year, making it one of the worst performing components of the S&P 500. This is one of those technology-oriented U.S. stocks that were widely viewed to have been impervious to or even beneficiaries of the pandemic, 
and it nearly doubled in value during 2020 and 2021. But earlier this year, Netflix reportedly lost subscribers after a decade of solid growth, which triggered the sell-off in its shares. Netflix is now about 44% below where it was at the beginning of 2020, before the pandemic started. Similarly, the mark-to-market column pointed out earlier this year that technology-oriented China stocks like Alibaba and JD.com fell sharply through 2021, not just because they had garnered very high valuations, but also because their financial performance turned out to be rather weak. I'm not saying these stocks will not recover over time, but investors need to be very careful when selecting stocks against the backdrop of rising interest rates and tightening liquidity. It's time for less big-picture thematic investing and more bottom-up fundamental analysis. This brings me to the Singapore market. While the STI has held up relatively well since the beginning of the year, investors should still tread cautiously here. In the first place, seven of the STI's 30 components are REITs, which are susceptible to rising interest rates. Moreover, some industrial property REITs had garnered very high valuations during the pandemic that are now eroding. These include Fraser's Logistics and Commercial Trust, Maple Tree Logistics Trust, and Keppel DC REIT. In fact, these REITs have been among the worst performing components of the STI so far this year. Then there are the three local banks. As I said earlier, DBS, OCBC, and UOB are widely seen to be beneficiaries of rising interest rates, and investors have really latched on to that theme. Indeed, these three counters were leading the STI higher early this year. But banks aren't just beneficiaries of rising interest rates. They're also quite sensitive to economic growth. And with growing concern that curbing inflation might mean slower economic growth, the banks have rolled back recently. Among the three of them, it's DBS, which had been trading at the highest premium to book value that has fallen the most. Since the beginning of the year, DBS has fallen more than 8%. OCBC and UOB are almost flat since the beginning of the year, which is more or less in line with the STI. This underscores the broad point I've been making. As the Fed and other major central banks work to get inflation under control in the months ahead, they are likely to create interesting opportunities for long-term investors. But investors should watch out for pockets of excessive valuation and carefully factor in the impact of higher interest rates and slower growth before deploying their cash. That's it for this episode of Mark to Market. You can follow my Mark to Market podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. That was a podcast by The Business Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Do note... All analyses, opinions, recommendations and other information in this podcast are for your general information only. You should not rely on them in making any decision. Please consult a fully qualified financial advisor or professional expert for independent advice and verification. To the fullest extent permitted by law, SPH Media shall not be liable for any loss arising from the use of or reliance on any analyses, opinions, recommendations, and other information in this podcast. SPH Media accepts no responsibility or liability whatsoever that may result or arise from the products, services, or information of any third parties.